Hello and welcome to this podcast, Focus on Modern Slavery. My name is Debbie Huxton and I'm a modern slavery campaigner for the Litchfield Diocese Mothers' Union, supported by Transforming Communities Together and the CLUR Initiative. The aim of this podcast is to raise awareness of the evil crime of modern slavery, human trafficking and county lines, to engage in meaningful conversations that highlight the plight of those victims enslaved and give a voice to those who are being unjustly treated and cannot speak for themselves, to set the captives free. Each episode will bring you a great discussion from interviews with those involved in all aspects of working towards eradicating modern slavery, and thought-provoking stories from those that have been victims themselves, to information on how you can help bring an end to this devastating exploitation of human life. Together, we can change the narrative from one of indifference to making a difference. Together, we can make a difference. Hello and welcome to another episode of Focus on Modern Slavery podcast. I'm really delighted today that I am bringing you this podcast as a special edition for Anti-Slavery Day 2020, which is on Sunday, October the 18th. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by some friends today. I have my colleague, James Henderson, I have Wendy Sims and Peter Pua with me today from Samuel Council, but I'm not going to do all the talking. I'm going to let them introduce themselves to you. So James, do you want to tell the folks that are listening right now who you are and what you do? Hi everybody. Uh, I'm James Henderson. I'm the Senior Development Worker for Transforming Communities Together. Um, so we help communities across the Black Country, Staffordshire and North Shropshire to thrive and th- flourish um, and there's so many different issues happening things like modern slavery where people are being exploited uh, financial difficulties um, community cohesion um, difficulties and so we work alongside communities uh, to help them overcome those and to empower and encourage them to overcome those thank you james and wendy do you want to tell us about you Yes, yeah, sure. I, I'm the uh, the Modern Slavery, Human Trafficking and Exploitation Programme Manager for Sandwell Council. So in, in a nutshell, I lead on prevention of violence, abuse and exploitation for the council. So that could be modern slavery. It could be things like domestic abuse, sexual violence, knife crime, gun crime. So kind of anything that's got abuse and exploitation um, in, in, in the title. So, yeah, I kind of lead on that and then look at the other side of reducing, reoffending and, uh, and serious organised crime. So it's kind of quite a broad that, that I have. Wow, reducing and prevention. I love that. We will talk more about that shortly. And Peter, would you like to tell us who you are and what your role is? Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And first of all, thank you, Debbie, for having us. And I would like to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who is listening to this podcast because it's a, it's a great privilege to share what my role is. Recently, I was appointed as the new Sandwell Council community and a safety officer lead for modern slavery and exploitation. Prior to that, I was working for over five years for a charity, international charity called Hope for Justice, where I was um, the frontline officer. My job was to rescue victims of potential, potential victims of trafficking and slavery. I was the frontline officer and I was the first point of contact 
wow, rescuing potential victims. It's going to uh, be really wonderful to um, talk to you as we go through this uh, session together, because I know you have a lot to share about the role that you had and the role that you're now developing with Samwell Council. So as, as the listeners can hear, I'm in amongst some real gems uh, working within modern slavery. So Wendy, tell me how you got involved in your role. Okay, um, when I left school, I trained as a car mechanic. Um, it's one of those things that I was told girls can't do that. So I went and I trained and I became a car mechanic and wasted three years of my life just because I kind of did something that girls couldn't do and wanted to prove a point. Um, kind of after that, it's only kind of when I started to kind of settle down, have my children, that I realised I don't want to be a car mechanic, nothing resonated. So I went back to, um, back to college back, and then on to university and trained as a social worker. Um, kind of as soon as I finished um, and was in... Um, became a social worker, however you became one. Um, yeah, I went to work with Women's Aid. So I've been with Women's Aid then for 15, about 15 years. So kind of working right the way up from working with victims of domestic abuse, sexual violence. Um, and, and then kind of my role with Women's Aid was I, I would set up a number of different projects. So starting with a blank sheet of paper. And, uh, and I helped establish the modern slavery um, service within, within Women's Aid. And that was kind of such a... Um, a fast growing and dynamic service of victims of modern slavery uh, but probably the, the very first um, kind of case that um, kind of resonated with my heart from a modern slavery perspective um, was a referral that we received for a lady who um, nobody wanted to help her she was down in London um, she'd been dumped at the side of the road um, she'd been forced to drink bleach she was pregnant so she was just discarded by the traffickers but this was before we had services like the Salvation Army accommodation and there was no um, bespoke service for victims of modern slavery at all um, so we kind of tweaked our policy we just made that decision she needed to be helped so we brought her into our refuge and it was probably the journey with that lady that just kind of resonated so much in my heart um, yeah and I got to kind of be with her while she was having a baby and kind of just just kind of really help get her resilience back get her kind of trauma worked out so it was probably that that very first victim that just give me the heart for victims of modern slavery just to see their journey um, and I've also done a lot of work over in Africa so working with a lot of AIDS orphans over there doing a lot of home-based care that so you do see a very different side to exploitation on women there so I think taking all of that kind of into consideration I remember um, about about kind of two years ago I had a dream um, and in this dream I, I know that this dream come from from God and it was like I could see all the um, all of the work that I'd done over, over the last kind of 15 years and the services that I'd helped create and build um, just looking at the stats that they they had supported over 60,000 victims of modern slavery and 58,000 children that belonged to them so those numbers just blew me away but I just really helped uh, kind of felt that I heard God say in this dream that's great that you're kind of helping those people who have gone through it but what are you going to do to prevent it um, so, so kind of that, that was a big mandate that, that kind of I really felt and that 
that kind of has to come through that education it has to come through the awareness and making kind of people understand that so that's when this job came up and i just absolutely knew um so just to even have a job where i've got prevention of modern slavery abuse and exploitation i think i'm making that kind of step further to preventing it just as well as supporting those when it's experienced so yeah a bit of a long journey but a, a, a very exciting one and i think it's just in me kind of just working and supporting those victims of abuse exploitation um just kind of part of that compassion that, that grows up wow that's incredible wendy and as i've been listening to you there i've just been thinking that um you know doing what you do now you couldn't be doing it if you hadn't been on the journey that you've been on and so it might sound like it's been a long journey but it's been actually been an essential journey that has equipped you for such a time as this and um, people at home won't be able to see what I'm seeing right now but behind you there are some trees on the wallpaper or on a mural on a wall behind you and I, I'm just thinking about the roots that are on trees and everything that you've done over the last 15 to 20 years it's all been putting roots down that have gone deep so that those trees grow strong and um, the foundations that you laid have led to this. That's incredible from that first interaction with a victim to you now doing this. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about is prevention, prevention over cure, because if we can prevent things, we're going to have more resilient communities, aren't we, rather than just constantly firefighting and trying to um, cure things. So this is just such a such an honour to be speaking to you today. And I just hope that the people that are listening will really be inspired by what you have to share. So that's incredible. Thank you. And Peter. Tell us about you, because you, again, we are just, James and I just sat here and we're just in awe, really, because you have a, a wealth of knowledge to bring to the table as well. So tell us about you. How did you get involved in this role? Uh, I, I've been working quite happily as, as, as a bartender, cocktail bartender, uh, around Birmingham, and something happened. Whatever you call that middle age crisis or, or calling, I just knew that I had to change my life. I didn't enjoy the job anymore. So I started to volunteer at the local church in West Bromwich uh, as interpreter. I speak a number of languages and I qualified myself uh, as advisor. And I was quite happy helping people. It was, it was very intensive work uh, dealing with tragedies, uh, people have been, you know, uh, on a point of eviction, losing everything. And in February 2015, as part of my uh, work uh, obligations, I was asked by, by the pastors of the church to attend a training about modern slavery. And to be perfectly honest with you, I went with kind of mixed feelings. I really love that idea that there is organization out there and wants to help victims of slavery. But I was asking myself, what can I do? What can I get out? I have to admit that I was struggling with this uncomfortable truth that that can happen around me, that can happen around the corner from where I live. Also, the fact that there are so many. During the training, I 
I received very important information. It was the fact there was a never in the history of this planet, Earth, so many victims of slavery, so many slaves as today. At that time, I, I wasn't sure what can I do. I'm not a police officer, I'm not a superman, I'm just everyday person. However, I started to speak to people which I was uh, seeing on a, on a daily basis, my clients and, and, and people who I have been engaging with, about hope. There is a hope for those who are in that situation, for those who would like to come out of the situation. And there is something we can do. Within five working days after I received the training, I was able to identify my first uh, potential victims. This brave lady, she came over to me and she whispered to my ear, I need to talk to you. So uh, I said, yes, of course, anytime. And she said, I cannot talk to you right now because someone is watching us. So I was able to organize a area, a private area where nobody could listen. And she told me that she was a victim. She was a victim of slavery. Herself and her husband have been working over 60 hours every week. They have been driving to work. Or they have been transported to work. That's probably a better word. Two hours to get to work and two hours back. Plus 10, 12, 14 hours a day. 18 hours. And all that work was rewarded with 10 to 20 pounds between two of them. And I'm not sure about you, anyone who listened to this podcast, and also you, Debbie, James, and Wendy. But let me tell you, I will really struggle to survive for 20 pounds a week myself. Long story short, they both decide to report the crime to the police. I was able to bring them to the police uh, station and uh, we met some, some, some fantastic officers. And we can loosely say that this was the beginning, the very, very beginning of the biggest anti-slavery investigation in this country. Last year, because of those two brave people who decide give the evidence, and, and as I said, it's loosely because there were hundreds of people after that who gave uh, the statements to the police. And we have been able to dismantle serious organized crime group. Last year in the courtroom, we realized that we also, that that was always also the biggest case in Europe. I still remember the day, and I know I'm talking too long, but no, I want to share how, 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 how it was. Yeah, please do. That evening, this lady, she called me, and as the first thing, I asked, how are you doing? Are you okay? Because they have been, uh, we have been uh, providing provided, we provided uh, those two people, even now I'm getting emotional, so please, please uh, forgive me. 
with the accommodation, with a hotel room, uh, safe accommodation will take good uh, stay for a couple of days. And she called me and she said, yes, yes, everything is fine. It's fine. My, my, my husband wanted to, to say to you. And this gentleman picked up the phone and he was crying. That was my first rescue. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. However, the first thing, are you okay? Are you safe? It's anyone trying to come into the room. I was panicking. He said, no, 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 no. Everything is fine. Don't worry. Everything is fine. He said, I just want to say thank you. I haven't done nothing. I just made a phone call. So it's, it's nothing to be thankful for. I said, no, no, no. I want to say thank you. Because today is the first day that I'm sleeping in a clean bed. Wow. Today is the first day that I can take a shower. Today is the first day that nobody's stealing my food. And I haven't experienced that in a long, long time. I still, it was over five years ago, I still remember the conversation, I still remember that day. And that's how I started and how I got involved in this amazing movement which is happening today. It's not only around the world, but also here in UK, also here in our communities. Mm -hmm. The amazing movement of some amazing people who refuse to accept more than day slavery and a human trafficking as something what is happening. Mm. And I'm so proud to be part of this. Yes. And so you should be. Wow, that's incredible, Peter. And just uh, just listening to you there, there's a couple of things that have really stood out to me and I'm sure it will be standing out for those listening. But um, you found yourself back in the days of being a cocktail bartender suddenly uh, dissatisfied with where you were in life and you had one of those what I call maybe a light bulb moment that actually there's got to be more for me than there's more purpose to me than this and um, so that's not putting down anyone that's working in a bar because they're equally that's if that's where they they are at that moment in time that's fantastic however you had that that moment that calling upon your life where it was like now there's time for me to to go and start to discover what my purpose really is and so you end up uh, in a church in West Bromwich volunteering and then this is the thing that's really stood out to me you were asked by your pastors in 2015 to go on a training for hope for just with hope for justice about modern slavery can I ask you where you did that training it was delivered a, in our church in, in, in West Bromwich uh, so the training was delivered but I have to say, it was really eye-opening for me. I have to say, as much as I went with the mixed feelings, thinking, what can I do? I realized that myself and every one of us, everyone who is listening to this podcast, there is so much we can do. Mm. I believe that sometimes we underestimate the power we have, what we can do. And every one of us is able to do change someone's life yeah so yes that was that was amazing experience so here's the amazing thing in 2015 i did the same training so i was asked to go on training with hope for justice and as a result of that 
two months after the training, I found my first victim in our church, who was actually a Polish lady. Um, as a result of going on that training, if I hadn't have had that awareness training, I would never have spotted the signs and I would never have known that she was a potential victim. And more importantly, I would never have known where to um, signpost her to and the help that she could have, that, that she did receive as a result of the phone calls that I make. But also knowing the weight that was being carried by this victim, that things that she was going through when she started to explain to me what was happening to her. So there for me in 2015, you and I, and I'm sure lots of other people went on trainings, but as a result of following our calling to, to look at our purpose, here we are uncovering victims of modern slavery. That is incredible. And so we know that today in 2020, as you said, there's never been so many victims of modern slavery. And so we, there is a, an importance of communities to be the eyes and ears on their streets because it is hidden in plain sight. We could find victims next door in the house next door. It could be a friend that we're even talking to and we don't even know that. Uh, it could be in our church, in our workplace. Anywhere you find human life, there is the risk of human exploitation. And one of the things that I always say when I'm running my trainings is that every single human life has value and every individual deserves freedom. And so it's important that this message that's burning in our hearts here is placed out there in the public domain for these conversations to happen. And so as we're talking right now, we know that this is just a small conversation that we're having that's going to make a big impact with other people listening to it. But we want to invite those listeners to engage in conversation with us to take part in the trainings that we're doing but also that eventually we will have bigger conversations that we can engage more people in. For me, this is really exciting because we want to, and I'm just saying this for the, for the listeners now, you know, as a collective of people working in this arena, we truly believe that our local action will ignite global action and create lasting change in the landscape of modern slavery and human trafficking. So we know that during 2020, you know, many of us have experienced periods of lockdown which have been sanctioned by our government. And it's been a tough year for many people. But I just want to remind people out there that we've had an opportunity to step back out of our houses and we have an opportunity of freedom, free freedom, freedom. I've just invented a new word there, freedom. Um, however, those people that find themselves trapped and enslaved in exp exploitation, human trafficking or some form of modern slavery, they don't have that luxury or that opportunity to be set free unless people like you and I step forward and say we want to do something we want to raise awareness we want to speak out for the voiceless we want to help set those captives free and something you said at the very kind of end of, of your um, moment of conversation there Peter was you said about people want hope you and I are their hope and so anybody taking part in this kind of activity, we are their hope. We are bringing hope back into their hearts by saying, we see you, we know you're there and we want to make a way into finding out how we can set you free. And then we've got Wendy who sits on the other side of that saying, yeah, we want to make sure this doesn't happen in our communities. So what a wealth of um, individuals coming together here. And so James, James thinks he's going to get away with saying absolutely nothing for those listeners out there. So we are now going over to James. James, tell us how you got involved in your role, which is a, a meaty role in itself. 
Yeah, fascinating, really. And I guess my story around modern slavery links back to Hope for Justice as well. So I was um, working for a church in in Nottingham uh, as uh, one of their social action pastors. It's a church called Trent Vineyard. um, And they they had a real heart for compassion and God's heart for, for those in need and those who were struggling. And um, I got invited by a guy called Ben Cooley um, to attend the opening of um, Hope for Justice. So they'd hired um, the conference centre in Birmingham. And, uh, and so me and my friend John, who was on the staff, went uh, along to, to the opening of, of, of Hope for Justice. Um, and uh, those of you who've ever heard Ben speak, he's definitely not shy or retiring. And um, it was quite an overwhelming experience, really. Um, and he, uh, I have to say, I, I hadn't realised that slavery still existed. Um, and and that, that was definitely quite a shock to me. And he talked um, uh, about some of the victims that they'd come across and, and how it had worked and uh, just about how precious people were and how precious uh, these victims were and it, it, it definitely stayed with me and uh, myself and John went back to our church and we set up a prayer group um, just to let people know about modern slavery and to um yeah just to help to uh, uh, intercede for, for for some change in it we just couldn't believe that uh, people were bought and sold and uh, people were made to do all sorts of unspeakable things that we won't mention on this podcast but just yeah. just for pure greed and it just uh, it just uh, was just awful really um and it, it still kind of shocks me now um and um and then um a few years into the into the role that I'm doing now um, here in the black country um, I got approached by a, a lovely lady from from the gang masters labor abuse authority and she was really interested in setting up a partnership um, to help to raise awareness of modern slavery and to, uh, and to help to to do some action and um, I'd remembered my training back then from Hope for Justice. I'd remembered um, that passion that I had, and it was just so exciting to be able to be part of it again. And um, then to cut a long story short out of that, um, the um, Wolverhampton Anti-Slavery Partnership was born. And then we were delighted that Walsall joined us. It's now the uh, Wolverhampton and Walsall Anti-Slavery Partnership. And I get to be acting chair of that. So... Um, that brings wow. together groups like the councils, the police, uh, the West Midlands Anti-Slavery Network, um, the the Job Centre, the Border Force, um, as well as kind of local charities and churches and different groups who all have that passion um, for, for, for making a difference in modern slavery. And so we help to raise awareness. Um, we help to create a pathway to identify victims and, and that victims get the right support. Um, and then we also um, encourage people to pass on that intelligence. So like, like, like Peter did, um, you know, helping to let the police know what's happening. And uh, just in awe, Peter, of, of your story, every time I hear it, it's just mm. amazing how that one thing um, we're, we're just able to open up the biggest case in Europe and I just dread to think what would have happened if you hadn't have gone on that training or you hadn't have 
had the confidence to recognise or the and, and I, I just if 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 you don't mind me asking a question, Debbie, I know you're no, a question master, do. but I, I've always been first, Peter. How how did you know that they were that they were victims? What 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 was the thing that that, that made you? I mean, were you just talking about slavery with everybody, or or, or was there something that made you think? Oh, I really need to talk to this this lovely couple about about slavery. Oh, thank you so much for your kind words, James. Um, at the time, I uh, when I met uh, this couple, they came over, in my opinion, like people who are very very shy. They never looked me in the eye. I was trying to engage in a in a conversation. I was talking to everyone. I realized that I have to spread the seeds, the seeds of hope. You never know who is going to be the person. This seed, my 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 go-to. You never know what you're going to discover. I started to ask myself a question: How is it possible? And I'm not trying to be judgmental in any 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 kind of shape or form. The two people who are working full-time jobs, they're working so hard, 50, 60 hours a week, they're still using a food bank, soup kitchen. They have been walking to the soup kitchen uh, from the place where they have been. Uh, and for a reason, I'm refusing to use the word home or a house. I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, however, everything I'm talking about is based on, on, on my personal experience in rescuing all the victims and being involved in all the jobs. I will call it a storage place where they have been put to rest for a number of hours and pick up next morning to be transported to work. So a mile and a half every day to go and get little bit of hot food. At the time, because our soup kitchen was donation-based and depending on the donations, we could get big meals or very small meals. Sometimes a cup of soup as, as small as a small cup, like a cup of coffee cup. That was the only hot meal they got every day. And I'm, I'm, I'm I cannot express enough how passionate I am about training because it changed my life. It changed life of so many, so many people. And every one of us here in this group, we started somewhere. And maybe the first step, the, the one thing we did was sacrifice a couple hours of our time to attend the training. And the training which I, uh, I received has given me enough information to start to connect the dots and I don't have any detective background, but you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to, to realize something is not right. Something needs my attention. Mm. And I was able to build a trust so strong, strong enough for those two amazing people to come forward and say, look, we might need your help. Mm. Did that answer your question, James? Uh, Peter, it absolutely does, and that's uh, and that's amazing. And it was just helping me to think, you know, how many of the other churches that we work with might be helping similar people just um, 
just like you did and, and maybe don't don't realize and and I think that word that you said trust is just so key that actually that's one of the best things that we can do isn't it through building relationships with people through practically loving them we can build trust and through that trust people are able to to, to make those disclosures and, and I'd just love to hear you um kind of uh, yeah, saying how important training is because that's something that we passionately believe in as well that if people have the knowledge and can be empowered then they can be empowered to act just like you did and and you know you changed hundreds of lives didn't you and and, and possibly more it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger but thank you for for being brave and for building that trust and for uh, and for setting that in motion that's fantastic Absolutely. And I mean, we can see here from just uh, just this this conversation, the importance of knowing how to spot the signs of modern slavery. And so, Wendy, coming over to you then with your role, prevention and rescue. Um, what are you hoping to achieve with your role as you scope this out and develop it and continue to pioneer on the front line, as it were? Um, I think one of the first things that we've done when, when I first came in post is, is really kind of look at the operational side to modern slavery because we need to make sure that we can have the right response when we get a lot of those concerns. So for the past um, past 12 to 18 months we put a lot of work into making sure that partnership is robust. It's a partnership that's built on relationships. It's a partnership that, that, that they're action orientated so I know I can go to any one of the different agencies that we work with whether that's the police, whether it's immigration, whether it's HMRC. A lot, there's lots of different agencies uh, but they're all committed uh, just to kind of making sure that we've got the right response. Um, think from the operational side as well kind of it's so important that kind of firstly that victim support has to be central um, but then also make sure that we're kind of pursuing offenders um, so I think we've, we've had about 36 arrests over over the last kind of 18 months um, so it's making sure that we're holding those accountable uh, for that crime but then the last bit that we've done really well this year is disrupt a lot of those locations uh, because if you only rescue victims there's going to be another victim you know one phone call and, and somebody else is there and taking up that job and that exploitation goes again um, so we've um, I think over the year uh, we've um, either disrupted or shut down 91 different locations of, um, of business where, wow. where modern slavery has been happening so to do that as a multi-agency team has just been absolutely phenomenal and then we've done around 128 visits um, to houses that are in the community um, so these houses are either used to um, accommodate victims of forced labour or it may be a potential cannabis um, farm where, where kind of people are um, kind of in, in that house enslaved to grow the plants or it may be a potential brothel so we've done 128 visits to each of those and there's been a kind of real lifeline to those people that are inside so I think one of the things that I, uh, I, I kind of really hope is that Kind of now we've got that side right is to really jump into the community side of that because every victim of modern slavery lives next door to somebody they live on the streets and towns kind of in our communities and i read a book by um by kevin bale 
um, and the book was just called The Slave Next Door, but that just kind of had so many light bulb moments that kind of just really show, and even looking at the case that Peter talked about earlier, kind of for three years, these people live next door to somebody, but you know what, not, not one person recognised kind of that they was working all those hours, that they, they was looking um, kind of unkempt, they didn't have money to buy clothes and kind of all of those, but to, to kind of live in a community and not know that's going on in your next door neighbour, it just shows the importance of that awareness raising, of that training. So it's kind of one of my hopes that everybody who lives and works in Sandwell, one, that they would recognise modern slavery, uh, but two, that they would know what to do with those concerns. We have lots of concerns that might come in for like neighbour nuisance or antisocial behaviour because there's a lot of people in one house, but you know, we don't always recognise that that's modern slavery. I think even last night I was just um, doing a few designs of a few new things to go into some promotional material on what are the indicators of modern slavery. So I kind of laid this out. So I had like the indicators of sexual exploitation, the indicators of um, labour exploitation, of um, criminal exploitation and um, domestic servitude. So I was going through these indicators and I just had this light bulb moment that hit me that you know what it's it's very that we can teach people the indicators of modern slavery that that's really really important but it's really hard to spot in an individual so not everybody you know you might do the training and never even recognize it but the one thing that is easy to spot is what goes on in a house so I thought let's just switch it round and just tell people how to recognize a house where there's modern slaves and as soon as I put that on paper it just kind of stood out because nobody had ever done you know I even kind of googled it and I couldn't find that kind of promotional material but you know even actually in a cannabis house the windows are going to be blacked out there's going to be a smell and aroma that comes from the house you're never going to see the people that live there because nine times out of ten they're locked in and, and that's their um kind of thing it, whether that's a, a brothel and people kind of come into the the um the house late at night and lots of visitors stay in a very short time so I thought, let's help people to recognize those signs um, but yeah i think that's my hope that people can recognize modern slavery where they live not just professionals and i was thinking about even my social work course there wasn't once as a, a professional that you cover modern slavery on a social work course so even at that level if professionals aren't going to be trained it, it, it kind of brings back that even they need the basic awareness to spot and identify modern slavery Wow, that's incredible. You just said some real nuggets there that I'm, uh, the listeners, you know, they probably have to rewind and just listen to what you've said again, because that's, that's just so important, isn't it? That, you know, we are the eyes and ears in our community. Um, and I was having a conversation, James, in fact, we were a part of a conversation together where uh, a lady was telling us about something that happened a few streets from where she lived. And actually, one of the indicators were it was snowing. And uh, there was no snow on the one house, on the roof of the one house. Why was there no snow on that roof? Because actually they'd got lights on in their attic. They were growing cannabis. And there was a lot of people going in and out of this house. And also the windows upstairs were blacked out. But actually how many of us are passing houses like that and not noticing? Because we're just heads down getting on with life. And it's not that we don't want to notice. It's that we haven't had this awareness. Because I always think about this well from my own perspective and then for most people that I talk to once you've had this training 
you can't help but start to notice or it's on your radar somehow you have kind of activated your reticular activating system which suddenly starts to look at people in a very different way why are they not engaging why are they not talking it's definitely how i spotted my first victim um, you know because her behavior was not was not normal behavior she was very withdrawn and she she did fit into the criteria as you're just saying um of those indicators but i think what you've said is really important that we don't always know how to recognize those indicators in an individual because it can become quite complex can't it because you could have somebody that is quite naturally just a very quiet withdrawn person they're not engaging really they don't really want to sit with people at lunchtime and they just are somebody that likes to be more alone so how do you differentiate but actually the way you've just uh, put that across turning it inside out and saying what would a house look like? What would the environment look like that would give you a warning sign that something's not right? Another one that uh, is brought to mind for me is um, a lady said to me on a training a couple of weeks ago, Debbie, my local nail bar that's now opened back up. The one thing that I've actually noticed, the staff are always different. And I said to her, that's a warning sign. The staff are, are constantly turning over. That's a warning sign that people are being moved around. So these things are worth reporting. They're worth, um, you know, actually asking somebody to investigate. Um, so I, my, my previous life before this, I was an emergency nurse. I worked in an A&E department in a busy hospital and we were never given training like this. And yet on hindsight, I can think of victims that or people that I would have uh, nursed and cared for in the A&E department that actually I know they've come in and they didn't talk very much. It was hard to get any information out with them. And they came in with somebody that felt they felt they looked like they had very uncomfortable relationship with. So it's 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 so important, isn't it, that we get this into our um, our frontline workplaces so that these people that are working with humans and having that first point of contact can understand uh, how to recognize the signs and then what to do. So incredible work, Wendy. And so one of the questions that I kind of want to ask as, um, as we bring this to a close now and, and just to let the listeners know if they've been enjoying the conversation, we are going to have more conversations with Wendy, Peter and James in the future. But just, just uh, as we bring this to, to a close now, if we think about um, the areas in which we all work, so our churches, our communities and then with individuals, I'm going to kind of ask you a question now. People listening to this might feel really inspired and saying, you know, what do I do? How can I get involved? You know, where do, what's my next step? So James, if I come to you first, from, from maybe a church perspective, what would you say to people that are engaged in church activity? I'd say definitely um, get involved. I think, you know, the Bible is full of God's heart uh, for, for justice, for caring for those who are, are struggling, who aren't thriving, who aren't flourishing. And, and as we've heard so eloquently, kind of when people are, uh, are involved in modern slavery, they're, they're certainly not doing that. So I just really um, encourage people just to attend a training session. So uh, there's some great stuff happening that, that you're running, Debbie. Um, there's also our colleagues in the Clura initiative and um, they have some great resources uh, for churches some great videos uh, some great posters that you can download particularly to put on toilet doors to raise awareness um, of places so um, either check out our website or the clear initiative website um, and, and just get get going with it really i think um, 
as we've all talked about, we've all had that training and then, and that training has helped us to spark that enthusiasm and that passion to do something about it. And I think when we know what we're looking for, um, that's, that's when we can start to make a difference. And we must do that safely. I mean, we know that there's serious and organised crime behind modern slavery, so we must do the right training so we know what to look out for and then how to report it in a safe way without kind of diving in and putting ourselves or the, those caught up in modern slavery at risk. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that you've highlighted there that, um, you know, with this training, we're not encouraging people to go out and be vigilantes and try and uncover this stuff themselves. We're saying when you know how to spot the signs and what the indicators are and you've had the training of the relevant agencies and authorities of where to report, who to call, who to take advice from, that that's really important that, you know, individual personal safety is so paramount. And actually, if we try and tackle this ourselves, we could actually be disrupting something the police are already investigating so it's really important that we we take that on board and Wendy coming to you now talking about communities how can people that are engaged in community activity or or living in the community how can they help okay firstly again I, it has to come back to that education I know James has just said that but I cannot stress that enough just to kind of know um, some of the indicators of modern slavery because th there's so many different types of modern slavery they've all got different indicators but we can all be those eyes and the ears in, in the communities that we live so that education is absolutely key one of the next things that we're just starting to look at in, in, in Sandwell and we're launching it um, just from anti-slavery day as well it's just that idea of being a slavery free ambassador so we're just doing this amazing thing of, of kind of aspiring to a slavery free sandwell I say aspiration because that is a massive aspiration uh, to kind of have a slavery free but we're giving that message that we're not going to tolerate slavery in sandwell and where it is there we, we are going to take action um, but yeah the, the, these ambassadors just got kind of such a blank sheet of paper of just how we can develop this work with people whether it's kind of them being involved in doing some of the training kind of starting to support some of the victims where we need that especially kind of when we're doing reception centers and we need people to help with drinks um kind of a lot of the victims of modern slavery they, they would just present with just the clothes that they're wearing so even to kind of help on a practical level there's lots of ways that we can practically get involved yeah so if you're interested in kind of finding out more about um being a slave free ambassador then definitely get in touch because i'd love uh, to talk with you about that but yeah that education it just comes back to kind of know the signs know the indicators and, and know what to do with it when you identify uh, modern slavery fabulous so we will pop some links up to uh, how people can get in touch with you when we uh, we put this podcast out that's fabulous gosh slavery free, free ambassadors what a great a great pioneering initiative there Wendy and, and and how incredible you know and I'm sure there are people out there that are saying yeah how do I do this so we will let them know and Peter coming to you then you know you've been uh, you've been working with individuals you've had that that intimate experience of um, knowing victims so what would you say how can how can we help one another what what would what would your advice and suggestion be here as you mentioned, Debbie, I was I was involved in, in, in countless uh, disruptions, operations, uh, victims, rescues, and, and and from all the all the, all the all the work that I have done, and especially after Operation Fort Finish, 
uh, on national level, we, we came together to, to do a debriefing and the main message which came out from all those meetings uh, I have attended is let's stand together. Please remember that we are fighting the fastest growing crime activity in the world. We are fighting serious organized crime groups, 40 million people in slavery today. No agency, no, no one, no church can do it on their own. We have to stand together. Every one of us here in this, in this podcast, we started somewhere. We took the first step to attend the training. I have to admit my knowledge about trafficking before the training was 0.0. I'm not sure about you, Debbie and James, but I took the first step, the step that helped me. In all the languages that I speak, I'm not able to, to, to explain the moment when you take someone out of the situation where they have been beaten up, tortured, to a place where they are safe and surrounded by people who want to help. I cannot describe the tears of relief, happiness, the tears of freedom. And I think every one of us, every one of us have a role to play. I truly believe, based on the, on the simple calculation of the numbers, that every one of us, everyone who is listening to this podcast, will meet a victim of human trafficking sooner or later. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? What kind of knowledge do we have? Who is the person we can speak to or report our concerns to? When I joined in 2015, there was over a thousand people referred to a support program called NRM. Last year, it was over 10,000. We must do something to stop it. Yeah, you're so right, Peter. Thank you for that. It's a real call to action there. Such good shares. Thank you, James, Wendy and Peter. It's been an absolute privilege to sit amongst you today. And as we've made this special edition podcast for Anti-Slavery Day on the 18th of October 2020, we can be reminded that for those enslaved, it's not just a day or a week, it's a potential life sentence. We don't want to just pay this lip service because it's a good thing to do for publicity. We want to use this podcast and this moment of Anti-Slavery Day to use our voices to vocalise a very strong call to action that we can all and we must all do something. There are tens of thousands of slavery victims across the United Kingdom currently and they will remain locked away long after anti-slavery day disappears. The issue of human trafficking will not be forgotten and together we can stand for freedom as Peter said and together we can unlock the doors of modern slavery and disrupt these criminal gangs as Wendy has shared. 
Modern slavery is where one person controls another by exploiting a vulnerability. It is often linked with human trafficking, where a person is forced into a service against their will, usually forced to work or in prostitution. The control can be physical, financial or psychological. And Dr Martin Luther King Jr said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. What if this year, what if 2020, despite the uncertainty that we have faced during this year as individuals, what if collectively we continued to come together, to stand up and to fight that we didn't back down, but we chose to stand together, no matter what our background, our career, our gender, our culture or level of success. What if we all come together to help bring an end to this evil crime and create safer communities? Because as Peter said earlier, no one person can do everything, but each of us can do something. And collectively, that can make a huge difference. And the action that you will take today as a result of listening to this podcast, I want to encourage you that it will make a tangible difference.